Hey everybody, just a little disclaimer up top. Elizabeth's computer was giving her some troubles before we started recording. I kind of allude to it in the intro. So uh, she is not in the interview segment of the podcast this week, unfortunately. Hopefully we can have the issues worked out by next episode, but I just wanted to give everyone a heads up. That's why Elizabeth is not asking questions uh, when I'm talking to Deborah later in the episode. Okay, enjoy the episode. place for film the official iu cinema podcast my name is david carter and joining me as always after a mountain of technical difficulties <laughs> is my co-host elizabeth rail oh man it never ends i mean uh much like talking about weather on a podcast there's nothing better than talking about how you had technical difficulties that the audience hopefully can't hear or yeah. <laughs> see but yes uh we were supposed to be recording like uh like 45 minutes ago <laughs> and we uh we're now just getting to it but you know we're dedicated we gotta bring we gotta bring the people the uh <laughs> the movie stuff i guess yes we like movies here how have you been this week elizabeth Oh, the big news in my life is I started little seedlings. Well, I don't have seedlings yet, but I planted seeds for the purpose of having a garden later in the season. The marigolds, so marigolds, um, cute little flowers. They're not like things I'm going to eat, but they deter pests. So I'm growing some so that I can deter some pests from my garden. And their seedlings start within like days. That is incredible. Well, as someone who uh, wants to start their own garden at their new residence next year, that makes me happy. It's not as scary as yes, it sounds. Yes, but also I have so many because I planted a bunch in case they don't take. So if you just want a pot, David, you if you have a pot, I can give you some plants. How are you, though? I'm good. Um, it's been mostly a week of me uh, catching up on... Uh, blu-rays that i got sent for review from different outlets and i don't know if some things are available to stream yet but if you are curious there is a film i'm gonna talk about on an episode of this podcast later this month called ongaku our sound which is a rotoscoped japanese anime film that took like seven years to make oh my gosh uh and if you don't know what rotoscope is rotoscope is the act of like taking actual footage and then like taking the figures within the footage and then animating on top of them so that it has this like very like fluid slash kind of uncanny valley-esque movement about it a lot of like Mm -hmm. ralph bakshi movies are rotoscoped um it's definitely a thing that was more popular at a certain time in history um uh, but yeah, is giant labor of love. It took them seven years to make. I've been watching the behind the scenes documentary about it. Uh, but like I said, I'll talk about that more later. Um, and otherwise, I've just been enjoying the weather. I, I like jogging again. So that's nice. Nice. <laughs> but this week's episode, uh, we're going to have very special guest Deborah Schaefer on later today to talk about her film uh, that she directed called Queen of Hearts, Audrey Flack, uh, which is about the kind of underrated well I mean as far as my knowledge of art goes which isn't very vast but like kind of underrated uh, artists who 
is a who is a pioneer in the photorealism field, mm-hmm. uh, amongst other things. And so we'll be talking to her later. And before we get to that, I think Elizabeth is going to bring us the schedule at the IU Cinema this week. Coming up this week at IU Cinema. First, on Tuesday, March 9th at 7 p.m., we have the film Invisible Adversaries from 1977, directed by feminist Austrian artist Valley Export. After hearing a radio broadcast saying that invisible extraterrestrial beings are taking over human minds and bodies, Anna begins to believe it, but when no one believes her, she resorts to photography and visual arts to cope with her situation. Invisible Adversaries is a part of our underground film series, featuring non-commercial or marginalized films and filmmakers, in partnership with The Media School. This event will include a live intro, but no post-film Q&A. Next, starting on Wednesday, March 10th, and available until March 24th, we will have John Waters' gloriously grotesque comedy horror classic, Multiple Maniacs. Lady Divine owns and operates the Calvicated Perversion, a traveling show of fetish acts and obscenities that the misfit performers must persuade and even physically drag reluctant passersby to attend. When Divine's boyfriend cheats on her, she sets out for blood and descends into a life of murder and mayhem. This is a part of our 10 Years, 10 Films, 10 Perspectives series, celebrating the 10th anniversary of IU Cinema. To access this film for free, you must be signed in to receive IU Cinema weekly emails, which you can do by visiting the cinema's website and going to the contact page. Finally, on Thursday, March 11th at 7pm, we will be screening the award-winning documentary Queen of Hearts about the trailblazing artist Audrey Flack. At 89 years old, the film follows Flack as she takes her over 40-year-long career in yet another brand new direction, revealing her longtime struggles as an artist and mother and quest to find her place in the art world. This event is a part of our Art in a Movie series in partnership with the Eskenazi Museum of Art and will feature a post-film Q&A with the director of the film, Deborah Schaefer, and artist Audrey Flack herself. My name is Deborah Schaefer, and I am a documentary filmmaker. I've been making documentary films for many, many, many years uh, on subjects, um, a big range of subjects, but kind of with a center, central core of uh, women's issues, women's history, women's struggle for equality, and also human rights, um, which involve women and men. Of course, around the world, I've done a lot of work in Central America and Latin America. I've done a lot of work in the arts. So in a way, this film about Audrey Flack circles back to some of my earliest interests in film, which were around women's issues. I guess my first question would be this. The, it would be the same perfunctory question that you've probably been asked at every sort of conversation in Q&A is just how'd you stumble upon this film? How'd you stumble upon Audrey? Well, stumbling on it is is actually um, a, a good way to put it. And I think it's in some ways, almost been the case with all of my films. I mean, I tend to have a range of things that are similar that I'm interested in, but actually what the film is going to be is something I generally fall into. And part of the reason for that is, is of course, I think if we always knew what we were getting into before we started, we might not do it. It's like if I really knew what the issues were going to be, what the problems were going to be, how difficult this or that or the other. So the way that this particular film came about was I had made a film uh, that we finished in 2010 called To Be Heard. And it's about a poetry writing workshop in the South Bronx. It's quite a different film than this one. And I made it with uh, actually a team of three other people. 
And one of the women who was one of the teachers in that class and my partner on the film came to me one day and said, I've met this wonderful woman and we have to do a film about her. And I said, okay. I mean, it happens sometimes. I'm not so busy. Somebody says we have to do something. And I say, okay. So, but the first step was to actually meet her. And we met in a coffee shop. I remember it very clearly. I think it was November of 2015. We met in a coffee shop. It was a wintry day, a small coffee shop on the Upper West Side, the three of us. And she basically told us her life story in about an hour and a half. And I was so taken with her and with her story. And I realized there was a film there. I just said, this is amazing. I mean, just what her history spans, you know, when she was born, everything she lived through in the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. I'm not sure you would have heard this on other, I don't know what I've said on other podcasts, but there was a very personal reason that I was drawn to this film. A lot of filmmakers do what I used to call the grandmother films. They do films about their their mothers and their grandmothers and their aunts and their their own family. They explore history and issues through looking at their own family. I've never done that. I'm not a personal filmmaker that way. But I was getting interested in the issue of becoming an older artist in a field that is very young. I mean, there's just no way around it. Film is a very, very young profession, and especially documentary film. I think partly because it doesn't really pay very well most of the time, most of us. I mean, there are exceptions, of course. But I remember years ago, uh, I have an accountant who said to me, Deborah, for somebody as well-known as you are, you sure don't make much money. That hasn't changed. <laughs> I have not made money from my work. I mean, I, they, I used to work as a film editor. I used to support myself for many, many, many years. I worked half the year as a film editor. It paid very well. I worked 80-hour weeks editing for CBS or whoever. And with that money, I could support my independent documentary filmmaking, which the films themselves are supported by grants. And as everybody who's ever looked for a grant knows, You know, for every grant I get, I get turned down for 99, I'm sure. So I was interested in how longevity. I was interested in how am I going to keep going at this? I've been doing it for 50 years. Seems amazing. You know, I won't be doing it for another 50, but I'll be doing it for a while still, I hope. So I was so inspired by Audrey. She was 85, I guess, when I met her. Maybe she was 84. She's turning 90 in May. So I think she was 85. She was probably 84 when I met her. I know she's amazing. She doesn't look a day older than when we filmed her. And she's, you know, her and it's her energy that's so young. Anyway, it's not how she looks. It's her energy and her spirit and her creativity and the way she confronts the problems in her life. And I felt so inspired by that. I thought she was she was a role model for me very personally, as well as you know, I think I thought she could be obviously a role model for a lot of people. I didn't know all the details. There were things that came out while we were filming. For instance, her Me Too story. I won't give it away here because hopefully people who are listening to the podcast will watch the film to hear Audrey's Me Too story with a famous artist who was her teacher. And um, I didn't know that story was coming. I had never heard it. The first time I heard it was in this art gallery. She just came out with it. So in many ways, it was timely. It was a timely film for me personally, and it's very timely in our history in the world and time and place right now. You you were taken with Audrey in person, and I can only imagine how powerful that is because like me, uh, kind of similar to things you've mentioned here and other places, I don't have an, a background in art history at all. My background is in music, specifically jazz, and I'm self-taught as far as like learning about cinema and film. But I don't know a lot about art history. But the thing that's so apparent from watching your movie immediately is just how charming and 
I don't know, like vivacious she is as a person. Like she really gets under your skin in like a great way and like just wants to pull you into this world and like educate you equally as emotional and intellectually as she possibly can. And like I would say that my journey in watching your movie was very much one of no, like obviously I know who Jackson Pollock is and I know to a certain extent who Lee Krasner is and de Koenig is and Rothko are. I know all those like New York modern artist but I I was not familiar with her and so there was it's just interesting watching a documentary like this where you have this figure that's so on the peripheral of all these like names that you know if you know a little bit about art you're at least familiar with what, what their work looks like and what it means to like culture and popular culture at large but then being completely in the dark about this woman who essentially like changed her style multiple times and then came upon this style that's like kind of looked down upon in photorealism and also like breaking taboos within photorealism by like using photographs as a reference which is something my art friends like have told me about that it was like a big no-no and so I find that all very interesting. I would ask you as a, a documentarian and a filmmaker working with Audrey and, you know, not having this background in art history, did that change how you made the film at large? Has it changed? Has it influenced you at all as just like a person and as an artist, like all the knowledge that you've probably accrued from just studying a subject as interesting as Audrey? Well, there are a couple of different way, ways to answer that question. So I'll, I'll give you a quick first one is that I, um, some years ago, I was making a film about an archaeologist. It was actually for public television. And she was a cave archaeologist. She did her research, research in the caves in Kentucky, where Native Americans used to um, spend time. And she was finding artifacts in these caves that told her about their diet and how they lived. It's really fascinating stuff. I mean, it's 2,500 years old and just amazing, amazing material. Anyway, they were teasing me at the end of the shooting that I was an ABD, which means all but dissertation. Because one of the things that happens when you make a documentary, one of the great gifts of making documentaries is that you get to be an expert in something you know nothing about. You get to learn a whole new world. If you're traveling, you go to a whole new country. Sometimes you learn a new language. I learned Spanish over the years working on documentaries about Latin America. It started you know, helping people out in New York, the filmmaker, friend, whatever, it led, one thing led to another, but I ended up spending a lot of time in Latin America and I'm fluent in Spanish. So I, I was not an art history expert. I had a, you know, probably better than average education in art history, but by no means an expert. And I did not know Audrey's work when I met her. I barely was aware of it at all. And I, this is another case where I took the plunge into the film without really knowing about her work or her art history tra trajectory. I had the great, great, great benefit on the film. Um, I initially hired as an editor, a woman named Rachel Reichman, who I had worked with some years before. We had edited together actually a film about women in Rwanda for public television, and we had worked really well together and that project actually won an Emmy and did really well. And But we hadn't had an opportunity to work together. And I, she popped into my head, I called her and said, you know, I, when I had to do a fundraising, we'd shot a little bit and I needed to put together like something, a, a teaser that we could use as a fundraising piece. And she came in to help me and um, she's a great, great editor. It turns out she had a much better and more extensive art history background than I did. Her mother had been an art teacher, which I hadn't known. It also turns out she had been in love with Audrey Flack when she was 16. She had an art teacher who had introduced her to Audrey's work. So she likes to tell the story that for, you know, a few months she thought she was going to paint like Audrey Flack. <laughs> and, um, 
So she brought to the project, first of all, a, a good knowledge of art history. And it really, I give her credit for insisting that we um, broaden the film to beyond just Audrey's biography, to include, you know, enough context about what was going on in the art world in the 50s and, and 60s and 70s, who the other players were, the feminist art movement, the abstract expressionist movement. Rachel became the co-director of the film for that reason, partly for that reason, because, you know, she brought so much to it in terms of the scope of the film. And I think it makes the film more it universalizes it. It's not just Audrey's story, really. It's a kind of an any woman who came of age as an artist in the 50s. It, it has a lot of relevance beyond just Audrey, and, and Rachel brought a lot of that art history. And yeah, we're, we're very pleased with how we got so much. I mean, I mean, we even got the, you know, Renaissance painters in the film, Giotto. And- Can I bounce off that idea real quick? Because actually, uh, I want to know more about you as a filmmaker because the the talk that you guys will give later will obviously focus a lot on Audrey so I just want how did you come of age as a as a filmmaker and an artist in your own right like what's your path to become a documentarian um it's interesting it's a path that probably wouldn't be as easy to do right now though it might be I don't know I um I came into film through politics really I came into film through the Vietnam War if there had not been a Vietnam War I wouldn't be a filmmaker because I don't believe, I mean, I don't know what I would have been, but I came of age at a time when, you know, the United States was was really turning upside down and inside out. It was the height of the war. It was the height of the anti-war movement. Campuses were exploding all over. I was in a very small girls college and I was really frustrated because I had become kind of very morally opposed to the war. I'd started going to anti-war mar- marches and uh, that had started because the older brother of someone I knew had been killed there. And I was like, what? What? Why, why is this guy dying in Vietnam? I mean, it just didn't, it seemed completely wrong to me. And um, as I became more and more of an activist and less and less interested in my university studies, I was spending more time um, kind of going to demonstrations and things. I fell in with a group of people from an organization called Newsreel. And Newsreel was a radical filmmaking collective that had been founded in, I think, 67. Um, I met up with them in 69. But it was um, a loosely federated group of filmmakers that had little chapters all over the US. And they were making films about the anti-war movement. They were making films about the Black Panther Party. They were making films about the League of Revolutionary Black Workers in Detroit. They were making films about the an oil workers strike in Richmond, making films about daycare, all kinds of political issues, the Young Lords Party in New York. So I was in the Midwest at the time. I was in Ann Arbor and I became close to the Detroit chapter. And it turns out I felt much more comfortable kind of um, with the film equipment at a demonstration. I didn't really want to be out front that way. I didn't want to be, I, I had sort of, I guess, radical ideas, but I didn't see myself as a radical leader or agitator or anything like that. And so what I, when I started with working with Newsreel, it wasn't as a filmmaker. We would take these films about the war or about other issues out every night to communities to show them. We had a we had a we had motorcycles with a box on the back and a projector, and we'd put reels in it and the cans of film, and we'd go show films at you know labor unions, churches, high schools, wherever people would let us do it in dormitories. So I got enamored of film as an organizing tool. I, I saw their power to um, open people's minds, to start dialogue, to start discussion. 
you know, again, I, I mean, I'd grown up largely in the, in the 50s where, I mean, movies were just sort of, you know, movies, regular old Saturday afternoon movies. So seeing these kinds of films about, um, they were so different. They, they, they opened my eyes when I first saw them. They excited me a lot. And I was really proud to be part of it. And then I gravitated towards the craft. It just turns out somebody taught me, I remember somebody taught me how to splice with splicing tape so I could repair the broken perforations on the film. And I was so excited, you know, to use the splicer and the tape and the rewinds. And and then, you know, they were shooting something and they said, well, come with us, you can record sound. So I carried the tape recorder and used the microphone. Anyway, you know, like everything, like many things, and I would still say this to people today who wanted to learn film, film school is great, but you know, the, the technology is, it's not that hard. It's just technology. You can learn it. Yeah. I read somewhere that you talked about how back when you were starting to make documentary film, you would have to carry like a 50 pound magazine with like, you know, 10 miles worth of film in it. and 10 minutes, you know, 10 minutes worth. T- yeah, 10 minutes. Sorry. Yeah, 10 minutes Magazines, worth of film. Yeah, every film magazine held 10 minutes. But I, fortunately, I was, I was only the sound person. That was only 25 pounds. The cameras were 50 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then you kind of go on to talk about like how much simpler it is with the digital camera. And now people obviously can just make things with their phones if they so choose to. Yeah, it's interesting that you chose film as a path. And the reason you chose it kind of rem- reminds me the same way they t- like the Italian neorealists talk about like how film is this way to connect to people in a way that you can't do like necessarily in other forms. It's also a way to work with people. It's a collaborative medium. It's not like painting or poetry where you're alone, you know, at your desk or in your studio um, or journalism, even where you, I mean, you get out to talk to people, but then you're alone with your typewriter. Film is intensely, at least documentary film and the kind I do is intensely collaborative. And I also really like that aspect of it. The bouncing of ideas and, and sharing of ideas. It's, I don't work alone. I wanted to ask you personally, because this documentary is so much about people that, that have been influenced by Audrey and things that influence influenced her as an artist. And I'm just kind of curious you as a documentarian, because I, I don't, I feel like it's more fiction filmmakers I get to ask this question to and not so many, so much documentaries, but like what influences you as an artist, as a documentarian, or just as an artist in general? As <laughs> you stumped me. Um, I mean, I think it partly, um, part of what influences me, even though it looks like my films are about other people, they're really about myself. They're, they're really about issues of great personal interest to me. So in the case of Audrey Flack, I was interested in her, in her as an older artist with a long career. One of my very first, I think perhaps I collaborated on a film in when I was in Newsreel that I now consider sort of part of my body of work called Make Out. <laughs> and that's a great <laughs> film. That's a five minute film about a high school couple making out in a car. And the whole soundtrack is what's going on in the girl's head. And that film came not just out of my own experience, but it did very much. And out of the experience of, there was a group of us women who made it and we created the soundtrack for the film by sitting around and I'm sure you've heard of consciousness raising groups that, that we all belong to. And so we kind of did a consciousness raising group where we all talked about what it was like to be in a car making out in high school and all the contradictory things you feel that, you know, what you want, what you don't want, what you're scared of, what you, you know, you got to get home, you gotta, whatever. So that's how we created the soundtrack. So, but that was of deep personal interest. And then I, I made a film, a sex education film for high school students. I actually worked in a, a women's, the first legal abortion clinic. I was just talking about that to somebody. I just wrote an essay about it because I worked in the first legal abortion clinic in the United States as a counselor. And uh, abortions were legal in New York State before Roe v. Wade. So it was about 1970. 
And uh, we made a film I made with some of the other women I'd been in newsreel with. We made a film, a sex education film for high school students that was really very unusual because it wasn't uh, sort of moralistic, don't do it. It was like, this is what you have to know. So, I mean, it's not been that direct, I would say, in all of my films. Uh, I did a labor history film that, you know, I was fascinated by the subject matter. And I have to be, I have to really like the people I'm doing a film about. You know, every now and then I've pursued, like, I have a lot of ideas for films that never get made and I'll do research and I can spend quite a bit of time, you know, following something. And a um, couple of times it's turned out I didn't like the people. After I did the research, I was like, oh, this is not a nice person. I'm not doing a film about, why would I do a film about them? I think I would have to say, I, you know, I don't know if I've ever said this out loud, but I, I think it's true. I've loved everybody I've made a film about. Does that feel like a luxury as a filmmaker to to like love the subjects of your film? Or is that something that you think is it's how it what it's what drives you to make films personally? You don't know if it's like a rule. Yeah, it 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 certainly drives me. I'd, I mean, I'd say making documentary films the way I do it is a luxury. It, it would be foolish to pretend that it's not a luxury, you know, because as I said before, it doesn't really pay. So if I had had to entirely support myself over the last 50 years, I would not have made as many films as I've made. I mean, I was married for many years and, and you know, my, my husband was very supportive of what I did. And so I didn't have the whole financial burden of supporting myself and our family. So I'd say film, filmmaking itself is a luxury. And I, you know, I don't do it as a, there, there, there are a lot of different ways people do it. One of the ways that people like me have been able to keep going for many years is by doing a lot of different kinds, you know, doing more commercial work and more assignments and more television work. And I'm sure in those cases, you can't always love everybody. <laughs> I mean, you just can't. It's it would, it's not realistic and, and feasible. But I do love the craft of film also. I just want to say, I, I, um, I think that's probably one of the other things that attracted me about Audrey. You know, she just loves her medium. And I, I love film. I love making films. I love everything about it. I, I love fiction films. I watch a lot of films. I talk about films all the time. Uh, this time of year, it's, you know, voting season for all the awards and everything. And um, I had a film that, I have a short film that won an Academy Award uh, for Best Short Documentary in 85. So I'm in the Academy and I get to vote on, I get to vote several rounds on the documentaries. I've probably watched over 100 feature documentaries in a year, at least. And then I watch all the fiction films too. And, and I love it. I just, I love it. But it is an exciting time, and I'm curious to see what will happen next year. I'm curious to see if the, you know, documentaries have been, in general, the health of documentaries has been so vibrant in recent years. Documentaries have gotten better. I don't think I would dare start making documentaries now, seeing how good they are. I would not have the nerve. Um, when I started, there weren't that many people doing it. It was just a small handful of us, and they're so good now. I just think they've become superb, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if next year's crop is as strong and if there are as many as there were 250 films qualified for the academy awards this year in documentary i bet it'll be less next year because it's just how can people be out shooting so much deborah thank you so much for being on this episode uh it's been a pleasure it's been wonderful i apologize for all the technical difficulties up front no problem you see i'm easy i'm pretty easy so and it, i mean it worked <laughs> out i wasn't on a on a tight anyway it's fine it's just fine david my pleasure and i hope it goes really well you know hope the podcast goes well and if you you know if you think of some little thing if you need to get in touch with me before you could just feel free i'm, I'm here and i'm available Thank you so much, Deborah, for being on the podcast this week. Uh, it was truly a pleasure. 
very honored to talk <laughs> to a director who's been in the game this long, who's essentially a, a master in her own right. So hopefully everyone enjoyed the conversation that we had about her career in the film and many other things. Uh, but yeah, Elizabeth, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram at my name, Elizabeth Rell. You can find me on Twitter at Samurai Flicks, on Letterboxd Instagram at Robert Dolphy. Not to plug another podcast, but it's a fun time in the month <gasps> because it's March Madness. But uh, if you follow me specifically on Twitter, I usually tweet, tweet about it. But if you should, you can follow the Blank Check podcast account, which is a, I think, of mentioned on this podcast at least a few times but <laughs> at least a few <laughs> <laughs> at least a few um they're having their annual march madness bracket which uh they're pitting up directors against each other for who they will cover in their next mini series on their podcast and if you don't know what their podcast is it's a podcast about filmographies uh directors who have massive success only early on in their careers and then get big blank checks uh to do whatever crazy passion project they want sometimes those checks clear sometimes they bounce baby uh <laughs> <laughs> so if you're a fan of some of you know people exploring someone's oeuvre with uh humor and insight and actual intelligence it's not all just like chuckles and bits but there are a lot there of bits, are a lot but of bits. it's there Expect are a lot of bits, bits but they but they definitely get deep into the paint and it's also just an interesting there's a lot of interesting matchups this year the way they did the bracket so uh go check that out just a little fun film thing for people to get into but with that uh, this has been a place for film. We'll see you at the movies. Good night. Good night.